Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. What are we doing today and today? The first show for 2019. Yes, welcome to the future. Mm. Um, So today I thought we'd have a look at the transition factors between the layers of consciousness. So as we grow as individuals and as as a species, we evolve from one paradigm to the next. What are the things that drive, provide momentum for the shift between Mm. different ways of thinking, different ways of behaving? Mm. Um, And uh, I'll I'll run through all of the, the layers and the basic yeah. drivers and we will zero in then on the modern to uh, relativistic mm, which so is the stage a, that where a large percentage of the world is now transitioning into yeah it's, it's where the, the global dominant global paradigm mm. is shifting from to from that scientific industrial thinking to network centric humanistic okay. and we should frame this uh, especially here at the beginning of a new year in the work of Claire W. Graves which we're referring to there and most of you who listen to the show regularly of course know exactly what we're talking about but if you don't uh, perhaps just give a very brief uh, summary of the of the structure of this particular model that we're referring to here. Yeah, so the the paradigms or ways of being human, ways of thinking, ways of behaving that we talk mm. about, and uh, usually I, I just refer to them by numbers, one through eight, yeah. are drawn from the research of an American professor of psychology called Dr. Claire W. Graves. Mm. And Graves, uh, he was a professor at Schenectady in upstate New York at Union College there, teaching psychology back in the 1950s. And uh, he was a contemporary of Abraham Maslow, who's a a much better known, more famous psychologist. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, basic human needs, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Graves uh, at that time was teaching five different theories of psychology in his course at Union College, and he would always get some questions from the students about which one was the best, which one was right. Mm And uh, eventually that drove him to do his own research. It drove him nuts. Yeah, it drove him nuts and to do his own research. Good research stems from that sort of going I crazy. Think, I think so. It goes, <laughs> goes with the PhD thing. Mm. Um, and uh, he studied 1,065 people over a period of about nine years. Uh, and he looked at their values and their behaviors, their perspective on the world. And particularly his research was around the question, what is the nature of a psychologically mature adult? Yes. And when you ask some ask somebody to that, that respond question. to that, the best they can do is to respond from their highest self, right? Where, wherever they're at in their own growth. Their, ide- their idealistic um, aspect of themselves that looks towards that. It would be mm. idealistic if it was from layer six, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so in in doing so, what he got was a whole lot of different perspectives on what is a mature adult, what are they, how do they think, what do they put value on, how do they behave. Mm. And he then assembled a group of seven of his peers who helped him sort the data and find patterns in the data. And uh, over a long period of time, actually, you know, he, he spent nine years gathering the data and then really uh, he, he was analysing it and categorising it and refining it for the best part of, I think, 20 years mm. or so. 
um, before he passed away mm. without publishing academically, yes. which means that his work is is lost to the academic world largely. Yeah. You know, there are, it's kind of poked into a couple of different institutions around uh, the world. I, I have a, a friend who's passed away now who based his PhD around Graves's work. Uh, but there, yeah, there's not much of it out there, and, yeah. and consequently, in my own study of it, I'd, I've had to do that outside of the mm. uh, structured mm. educational. Because he died world. in died in 1986, didn't he? He, he so did. He died of a heart attack in 86. Before, yeah, and before he, the internet age and so forth too. So that's right. He yeah. had some articles published. Uh, one notable article uh, was published in the Futurist magazine in 1974, where he spoke about the or wrote about the momentous leap that we're yes. approaching, mm. and. Um, and yes, so he, in his work, he basically, there were sort of a small number of central things which came out of his work. One was this very interesting dynamic between the complexity of life conditions and the adaptability of human consciousness mm. and how the, as life conditions became more complex, then human consciousness in a plastic adaptive kind of way would also become mm. more complex and more capable in order to cope with the higher complexity. And that's also another way of saying that these systems are coping systems, aren't they? Yes, yeah. they are coping systems. Mm. And also systems of perception, mm. you know, providing uh, deep subconscious frameworks with which we make sense of our experience mm. of reality. And solve the challenges and problems of our, of our time, our era, our place in civilization and our civilization at that time. Exactly. And his work also mapped the change process, how we change when we move between these different uh, stages, as he called them back in the day. I, I tend to use the, the language, um, or the words layers or yeah. windows, frequencies, frequencies. waves, mm. uh, tends to fit the, with the dynamics better mm. um, because, you know, the dominant paradigm has shifted since he actually did his yeah, work. Yeah, yes. Back and that's itself an interesting some, fact. Somewhat. Um, so the change process he, he mapped out, and that really equates to uh, things like the work of Joseph Campbell and mm -hmm. the hero's journey. It's, it's a journey that we take yeah. between these places. And also he mapped uh, milestones on this journey towards greater complexity, uh, the, the layers or stages of waves. And each one has its own framework for making sense of reality. Each one has its own values, has its own perspective on the world, its own behaviors mm -hmm. and drivers. And uh, it's very, very useful information. And basically, this is classified as developmental psychology. And developmental psychology is a little bit like quantum mechanics. It's been around for quite a while. You know, you can trace its emergence back you know, 100 years or so. Uh, however, it's not mainstream in the no. same way that quantum mechanics is not mainstream. Like most scientists don't factor in the observer element no. and how that might influence the outcomes of an experiment when they're doing their science because we just as a dominant paradigm we just haven't got there yet well, it's, it's just too complex it's soft science you could argue too <laughs> we'll get to soft science we'll get later. to soft and hard science later in the later. show indeed um so uh we'll have a look at the transition factors between layers of consciousness mm. uh, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about anthropocentrism yes and how that's emerging with this next layer of consciousness that mm. the dominant global paradigm is shifting to and maybe look at some specific example, examples around science and mm. maybe even climate science just for uh, Maybe even life. climate science and the notion of climatism, which is a term I hadn't even heard of uh, until yesterday. Yeah, I, I'd known about that for mm. a while. You're obviously moving in the wrong circles. Oh, we are. <laughs> Different circles, yeah. Um, I, I should add just regards this from uh, some information that you sent me uh, about uh, these layers as coping systems and some of the simple parameters around this, which I think are important for people to get because it can seem like this is a personality profile uh, model, but it's not that. It's not that, yeah. no. So um, 
most those personality profiles are looking at typologies. Yeah. So the, one of the, the most fundamental type differences between humans is male-female. Yeah. Uh, but uh, obviously in the world of psychology, you get introvert, extrovert, mm. uh, and all of those yeah. different things. And somebody can operate can be operating. Well, let's let's say two people, for example, can be operating at the same layer of consciousness. So they're using the same underlying framework for making sense of their reality mm. and the same values, but show up in a different way because one's a man and one's a woman, or one's an introvert and one's an extrovert. Mm. Okay. So and most of those those profiling things that you're talking about are looking at those typologies and yep. not the deeper underlying frameworks of actually what are their values founded upon mm. you know how do they perceive reality what are the main things that they look for yeah, yeah. so just these four points from your one of your presentations here about about coping systems that may help people to to understand uh, how this works uh, the coping systems describe adaptive capacities within us not types of people secondly none of the coping systems is inherently good or bad but each one is suited to a particular living environment at a particular yeah. time yeah Thirdly, capacity to cope with complexity increases, as you said, as we progress to higher systems. Yeah. And fourth, as we move from one environment to another, that is, for example, from work to home, different coping systems may be activated. So basically saying that you're not sort of stuck in one particular profile, that you will, you will adapt and move it's absolutely, depending on your yeah, situation. It's absolutely dynamic. Mm. Um, and we, we have to grow into them, though. So we grow into these different layers and more complex layers throughout our life. And as a species, we've evolved through them. And once we've uh, grown to a certain point, we still have access to all the previous layers that we've grown through. So it's like we're collecting a toolkit. Mm. And mm. as you said there, you know, each, um, each layer is suited to solving particular problems. Mm. Like for example, say that you need to screw a screw into a piece of wood, then you get a screwdriver, right? And do that. And then as we grow through different layers, it's like we collect these tools into a tool kit. So we start to develop like a Swiss army knife of multiple tools, right? And then in the first tier of consciousness, which is the first six layers, the dynamic adaptivity is, is a, a subconscious process. So it just happens naturally. Yes. And we don't necessarily become aware of how we're shifting between different tools, but we've got the, the Swiss Army knife and we can pull out whichever tool we need to, you know, solve a problem at home or at work or whatever, depending on different layers of complexity. Mm. Yeah. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate and spiral up. Zero four three seven three four triple one nine. You should have that number in your phone by now. Zero four three seven three four triple one nine, and we have one text in which uh, <laughs> we just I just have to mention because it it's it's fun, and I'm sure you're very serious about it. But he's, uh, this person is saying, "What about parrots that have two separated brains?" Um, what, yeah. What about parrots? What about parrots? What do you make? What do you make of parrots? <laughs> I, I, I don't made any. Studies. I, I love the word parrot. Parrots. Just itself. You know? <laughs> I guess because it's been it's been sort of anthropomorphized anyway. The word parrot is to parrot somebody to. Yeah. You know, yeah. I guess so. It's yeah. Just a parrot. Yeah. Well, I mean, on the the two brain thing, um, mm. I don't know anything about parrot brains. No. But uh, what I do know is that in Claire Grace's work, he identified this pattern whereby our, our, we would lean towards one side or the other side of our brain mm. during each of the layers of consciousness. So mm. we'll alternate between a left brain focus and a right brain focus. And when there was a left brain focus 
in one of the layers of consciousness, we would be uh, all about changing the world to suit ourselves yeah. and take a very individual approach to life and structuring society. And then when the right brain is dominant, we take a sort of how do I adapt myself to fit with the world approach. Yeah. And uh, generally there's a, or there is always a communal theme of some sort on different scales. Apparently parents are, parrots are exceptionally intelligent animals. They use tools, they're both sophisticated problem-solving abilities and they understand mathematical concepts. Oh. And of course they excel at speaking and they have a particular brain structure which, uh, a unique brain circuitry, this article here in Smart News in, from the Smithsonian Institute says. So thank you for that question because it's, it is kind of relevant. Right, Polly, Polly wants two times four practice. <laughs> I never heard one say that. Well, I, no, I have another. But possibly you say to a parrot, you might say one and one equals five. And you, how could you argue? I mean, it's no doubt it's true in some universe. got to be true in some universe. But let's come down to this universe, this place, uh, and our journey as human beings, which of course includes all of the life on this planet which is itself an interesting thing. We may get, we will get to talking a little bit about uh, the anthropocentric tendencies that humans certainly have. We will. We will mm. talk about that. Um, also, I might just mention before we dive, in, oh, yeah. dive into the pool really Excellent. deep here, um, that we're on iTunes now. So uh, this show is broadcast as, as a podcast on iTunes mm. called Future Sense, and yeah. you can subscribe to it and get notified when the new one is out and all that kind of thing. And uh, we're setting up a, a system in the background where we should be publishing this show about a week after yeah. it, it goes to air and we'll do that consistently into yeah. the future. And thanks to Ross Hill and others, yes. particularly Ross Hill, who's uh, sort of facilitated that for us very, very good. And our audio editor in Bosnia. Our audio editor in Bosnia. And we've checked him out and he's not a parrot. <laughs> <laughs> so let's look at the layers. We're going to go through a bit of a description here at the beginning of 2019 in the future as we are now. Yeah, so um, maybe because we're starting afresh for a new year, let me just quickly... Um, mm. label the different layers as they showed up in Click Razor's research. So the first layer, uh, and we're looking at this from a, a uh, species level, the first layer is like a hunter-gatherer type of existence mm. where it's very simple. It's just about meeting our very basic survival needs and there's no complex culture or anything laid over it. And that at a, an individual level equates to like being a young baby where mm. we really don't do much. We don't draw pictures or anything. We just eat and sleep and, mm. and exist. Uh, and then the second layer is a, at a species level, it's a tribal way of being human where we gather together in large groups. And at the time that emerged historically, it also uh, coincided with the, an explosion of culture. So we started to make art and, and that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, I guess because we we're in a collaborative environment and you know there was shared work and people had t spare time to, mm. to make culture and those mm. sorts of things and maybe there were other strange influences as well. And the rise of um, early rituals and uh, yep. folklore and yeah. the like. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. And uh, that equates, of course, to our family life mm. in uh, a personal sense. And then third layer is what Graves called an egocentric layer where we begin to explore our power and we break out of the tribal boundaries and uh, we saw at a species level behaviors like uh, moving populations that would raid other people's territory yes. and use power over them to take their resources and control them and those sorts of things yeah. and we see this an equivalent of this kind of behavior at an individual uh, level in our teenage years when we want to break out of those family boundaries we want to stop having to do what mum and dad says and we want to go out and find our own power discover who we are in the world and what we can do 
so we see that wild kind of dynamic that tends to be very impulsive and unstructured. It's also the, the layer of um, image and glamour, which is interesting in this era now, of course, of social media and all the contentious uh, dialogue around that particular issue yeah, with so the younger people in particular. Exactly. It's, mm. uh, it's, it's very much about discovering who we are and, and what mm. power we have, basically, mm. to, uh, to change the world. Uh, and so hunter-gatherers and individually-oriented uh, layer, tribal is communal, the egocentric is individually oriented again, and we've got this alternating switch, yeah. switching between individual and communal. The spiral. Yeah, mm. in a spiral. And then four is at a species level, the emergence of uh, large-scale agriculture and large-scale uh, civilization, basically towns and cities and uh, some of the major civilizations that in history, like the ancient Egyptians and the Greeks and those sorts of things were built on this fourth layer. Mm. And it involves the activation or the the kind of arrival on the scene of the frontal lobes of the brain which are able to moderate all of those urges and instincts which drive the previous layers mm. and it's the first therefore the first rational layer in, yeah uh, in grades model the first right. three layers you mentioned are actually pre-rational this is the first rational layer exactly yes and uh, we see structured cause and effect thinking and we start to be able yeah. to plan for the future and say okay if we do this now then you know we'll be able to do that in the future Whereas in the third layer, it's all very impulsive and there's no, often no thinking about the consequences of an action. And of course, that shows up in, uh, in our teenage years. And when we sort of get to the point of our wild times as, uh, as young teenagers in our early 20s, then we may grow into this fourth layer where we start to think about long term. We start to sort of knuckle down and get organized, have a plan and look for some kind of set of rules to live life by mm. so the fourth layer always has some higher authority who makes the rules and we go looking for for that mm. and sometimes that can be religious rules but sometimes it might be rules associated with the law or, or any kind of moral uh, codes of one sort or the other yeah any kind of structure that has a higher authority who who lays it down and says this is the way it is and this is where you need to be yeah, I just thought, uh, just going back to the third layer, then I suddenly, when you when you mentioned that, sort of going impulsively into a situation, I, I suddenly thought of the of the, of the Nazi army uh, uh, atta attacking Russia and finding themselves actually without resources, without a you know sort of a, that sort of bravado and that predatory nature that they they uh, they exemplified in a sense in this era. Yeah, but uh, from an organisational sense, uh, they they were much more organised than Layer Three. I mean, the, the, the Layer Three so. behaviour is more like Genghis Khan kind of stuff, where it's very unstructured and loose and wild, and and no one's following any rules. Okay, um, what you just described then was a failure of logistic planning uh, <laughs> by by the German army, which is a much more sophisticated way of operating. It belongs to higher layers. Fortunately, you weren't alive then. They would have tried to grab you onto their side to do the job for them. Never, never. <laughs> the strategists, I know you don't have those values. That's all right. <laughs> and uh, so layer five equates to the modern scientific industrial era at a species level. And it's only been around about 300 years or so. And already it's starting to slip away and we're moving into what's next. So um, it brought mainstream scientific thinking. Uh, the idea that we had to look to some higher authority to know how to live life was superseded by this modern idea that we could actually make the rules ourselves. Mm. And through a process of scientific experimentation, uh, we can figure out what's right, what's true, what's good, 
uh, we don't have to rely on the higher authority to tell us those things and we can make our own rule set which can be flexible and can be adapted lots of efficacious for our success so yeah to speak. exactly mm-hmm. uh, so again this is a, an individually oriented system whereas the the fourth layer was communally oriented and um, we also you know we saw the explosion of the well the industrial first industrial revolution which brought machines and leveraging things and exploiting resources and all that kind of stuff that the modern era has done for us and uh, at an individual level you would find that kind of way of being human playing itself out in corporate work uh, any kind of job where you can start at the bottom and aspire to be at the top eventually and simply uh, on a merit-based process yeah yeah and uh, it's all about you being your best and changing the world as best you can. It's also a very good example of, um, which we've already mentioned today, the, the aspect of this model which talks about the solving of problems through that particular uh, layer, that frame that you're looking at, but at the same time creating new problems. So yeah. as we've seen in the last few hundred years, many, many problems have been solved by our advancement, by our technology and the like. We've talked about some of those positive things last week, in fact, in terms of what's going on in the world. And yet what it also does is create a whole new raft of problems which then have to be uh, approached from a different uh, layer of, of uh, thinking. It does, and this is like uh, the, the wind turbine of evolution. Mm. You know, it catches catches the wind and drives the whole evolutionary process. Is this this uh, tension? Yeah. So each new layer, as it emerges, it has a greater coping capacity. It can solve the problems that were created by the previous layer, yeah. and in fact, it was those problems which created the the momentum for us to shift and change. What a beautiful paradox. I love that. Exactly. Gorgeous. And then over time, the new layer itself will create more complexity in our environment, which will mean that the problems become more complex and eventually we'll have to outgrow it because it will no longer solve the problems and my goodness aren't we seeing a lot of that in the world at the moment where people are trying to use old thinking to solve new problems and it's just not working very Mm. well yep yeah so uh, beyond the modern we have the what is really the emerging paradigm on a global level uh, as the modern era dies slowly dying away at the moment and Claire Graves called it relativistic some people have called it postmodern uh, and uh, I think the early waves of it were branded as postmodern, and we're starting now to see more sophisticated waves of this new layer show up with very sophisticated technology like blockchain and those sorts of mm. things, which underpin cryptocurrency. And it is a very network-centric way of being human, so it's very much about having a trusted network and being connected to as many people as possible. And it's also very humanistic, so it's centered around the human experience and particularly from a an emotional and a values-based perspective it also has a a deep drive to inquire inside Mm. and uh, and to seek out healing for anything that needs healing Mm. and we see that in the the growth of healing modalities Mm. self-development generally speaking actually because we're moving into this and particularly in this region byron is a very good example of uh, of a fairly advanced layer six um small society society. Uh, I'd just like to read these qualities from your presentation because I think most people would be able to relate to these things now wholeness sharing community networking systems thinking spirituality feeling caring equality peers perspective sensitivity togetherness balance unity organic social responsibility ecology consensus harmony relativity planet diversity social justice and planet's interesting one there to me because it's almost the first time really at this layer where we actually start to think on the global level 
Well, it's actually the second layer where we do that because with the emergence of uh, the very early emergence of layer five, we had the first journeys around the world by ocean faring yeah. people. And, and so we, we, we got this idea, or we, we discovered that the earth is round and we can actually travel around it. And so it's like a, a finite thing. It's, it's this sphere that we're living on. Mm. Um, whereas prior to that, it was largely unknown. And I, you know, I must, must, must mention here, I, I also should mention rather that um, history itself is rejigging itself right now. And a lot of what yes. we've grown up regarding as conventional accepted history is being challenged. You know, and there are many examples showing up of information from many thousands of years ago, which actually shouldn't have been there. So, so when I make these historical comparisons, I'm making a very mainstream uh, historical comparison in terms of what's generally accepted as human history. Yeah. But I'm also aware that human history is uh, a movable feast. Yeah. And as we discover more about ourselves and who we've been in the past, some of the conventional stories that we've told ourselves are, are going to change. Yes, well, and even, of course, there's in this area a, a re-assessment um, of much history. And I'm thinking, as you speak there, of an article which I sent you yesterday about uh, the British Raj in India and the very sophisticated stealing of what they, in this particular article, uh, talks about $45 trillion over a couple of centuries. Yeah. Uh, and that even though for people like us it's kind of obvious that something like that happened, but when I read this article and how cleverly uh, it was manipulated in that sort of layer five uh, way of being at that yeah, time, yeah. Um, and, and but it's becoming um, it's becoming obvious to many people that these things have happened. Uh, indigenous history is another very good good example. It's yeah. slowly but surely we're revisiting history and reassessing what it means and what's actually happened there. That's right. And, and ramifications. This, this happens uh, in every sense, you know, right across the whole spectrum of our experience yeah. of being human. As we transition from one layer to the next, we reassess everything. And we reassess it because we're seeing it from a different perspective and we're seeing it with expanded senses. So also as we grow through these layers, there are various uh, senses and uh, ways of being aware that grow and, and some new ones show up. You yeah. know? And one of the things that shows up with this sixth layer is the capacity to take different perspectives on things. Mm. Whereas in the, the previous fourth and fifth layers, uh, we were very much standing in a sort of a, a figurative sense in our mind. We were standing in one place and looking out at the world from, from our perspective. And our perspective in the fourth layer was very linear. So there was one path ahead, and it was the right, true path of the true believers, according to whatever rule set and higher authority that we've latched onto, mm. right? And of course, you could have two people at the same layer there who had latched onto two different belief systems and had very different perspectives on what that single path looked like, and what the you know the the mm. uh, the, diff the details of the mm. how to live life were. Yes, um, and then in the fifth uh, modern layer, that single linear path ahead becomes multiplistic so that you've got multiple paths and options to choose from and that's where the scientific experimentation comes in as you test which path is going to be the best for you and then you mm. follow the best path mm. and then when we get to layer six all of a sudden that single standpoint that we've been imagining ourselves at in the previous layers becomes a, a vast network of standpoints where we can actually move and stand somewhere else in the network and have a very good idea of what it's like to see the world from that different place. Uh, and that's part of the dynamic of change that's rolling out across the world at the moment is people all of a sudden can put themselves in someone else's shoes. 
I think in, in North America, the indigenous people call it the wisdom of the moccasins. Oh, yeah. love it. Oh, the so wisdom you, of the moccasins. Yeah, yeah, yeah so very you, good. You can uh, yeah. put yourself in someone else's shoes yeah. and understand what it's like to walk in their shoes and see the world from their perspective. Mm. And then something remarkable happens between layer six and layer seven, and this is really the headline of, of the whole show at the moment and for the next you know 20 or 30 or 50 years. Yeah. This, this, is, this is the future of everybody who's living on the planet right now and those who are still yet to come is this, this particular headline. And, and that is that human consciousness is taking a momentous leap, to use Claire Graves' words, mm. uh, and the capacity that we have to comprehend reality and to uh, and to be human and to be human in the fullest and most integrated way is going to increase massively because we're going to take this logarithmic uh, shift mm. upwards between layer six and layer seven. Mm. And Claire Graves wrote that layer seven, uh, which I'm calling integrative, has more capacity to cope than all of the previous six layers combined just in that one system, layer seven, there is more capacity than all of the previous layers combined. And that is kind of a mind-blowing thought. Mm. So um, this is very, very interesting. And this is going, this is basically unprecedented. As far as we know, there's no historical record of any massive increase in human consciousness like that. The only thing that maybe might come close is when we first became human from whatever we were before that. Mm. Uh, and uh, it is going to change the world radically. Mm. And it's also going to bring a capacity for us to solve all of these problems that we have at a global scale at the moment, which seem insurmountable. And uh, the, the idea that we're kind of going to hell in a, a handbasket, uh, which a lot of people have right now, you know, they're looking at the world and they're yeah. saying, how the hell are we going to solve all these problems? Because it's not just one problem, it's that problem affecting that problem affecting that yeah. problem in this compounding. And uh, the, we're seeing the degradation of leadership and the degradation of our social systems. Yeah. Yeah. And so it looks really, really grim. But the saving grace is this massive leap in consciousness. And of course, Claire Graves, in his research, he found a few people, not very many, but he found a few people back in the 1950s and early 60s who had already made this big leap in consciousness at an individual level. And uh, it blew him away. It was actually, it uh, really uh, had, it made him stop and rethink everything that he was doing yeah. in terms of his research because there was no real uh, good description in any other theories of the scale of this increasing capacity. And the phrase that you use here in this integral stage, in integrative stage, is I learn, and we could have mentioned some of the other ones before, but as you're speaking, I'm hearing there the capacity to finally accept all information on its on its merits, on its true merits, not not affiliated with this idea or that idea or, you know, to actually learn what what actually works. What works to solve the problems. What works is absolutely the, the guideline yeah. for layer seven. Um, it's very tempting to think that they're one of these layers is going to bring the ultimate truth and we'll know everything. But but what we do know from the research is that every time we get to a new layer, we think that we think that okay, we've got it. We, we you know we've, we know how to to, to to fix all these problems now. We've got everything sorted. We understand everything. Uh, we can be fine. And for a little while, we are mm -hmm. because we solve all our big problems and then we you know, have a bit of a cruisy time for a while until the new problems arrive. And then we find that we didn't know everything, even though we thought we did. And so we've got to go through this whole change process again, and we and we climb to a new 
a place on this evolutionary spiral. Which has been which has been very freeing for me, for example, coming in contact over the last year or so uh, through you with this model, because suddenly there's no end game, there's no goal, and Graves himself identified this as yeah. that there was he could not see an end to this spiral of, of ever evolving, no, right. expanding and, and, um, beingness. Yeah, and this is one of the significant differences from uh, Abraham Maslow's theory, yeah. which had a like a triangle, a hierarchy-based triangle. Yeah. Uh, of human values and human progression. And Graves basically found that that whole system was flipped upside down. And instead of being a, a, a pinnacle-based hierarchy, it was actually an open-ended spiral with, with, as far as he could see, unlimited growth. Mm-hmm. And as long as our surrounds, our life conditions keep coming, becoming more complex, then so will we. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the seventh layer that he documented um, involves left and right brain integration in a very significant way. It brings a multi-dimensional view of life. Uh, and I mean that in a figurative sense in terms of being able to see the multiple dimensions of different aspects in the material world, but also in, a, in an absolute sense where we are becoming more aware of multiple dimensions of reality apart from this 3D physical material reality. The capacity to sense and read the previous layers of consciousness, which we didn't have before seven, so uh, in layers one through six, when we bump into someone else who's at a different layer of consciousness, it's like they're on a different frequency to us. And we say, well, I don't know about that person. They're in a different world. They just seem to have different values to us. And, you know, we just, they're not, not on the same page. Uh, so often we just brand them as, as radical, different or wrong. Mm-hmm. Whereas at seven, we can actually read that, okay, these people are operating from that frequency mm-hmm. there. And that, that I, I remember that frequency. I grew through it mm-hmm. some years ago. Right? It's interesting when you mentioned the wisdom of the moccasins before in layer six, because yeah. that's the first sort of beginning to be able to see that way, isn't it? In a yeah, way, to well, be able to well, attempt six, to try. Six, yeah. Layer six, which is emerging uh, as, mm-hmm. the, as the new dominant global paradigm in the, in the next decade or two, it's the foundation for this leap. Right? Yeah. And if you're going to make a big leap, then you've got to be standing on something solid to do that. Yeah. Uh, so six is is laying the grounding for the big leap to happen. And that's part of the reason why there's a very strong healing dynamic mm-hmm. in, in six. It wants to shore itself up. It wants to check everything's okay and in order. Uh, and it wants to rebalance everything so that we're in a balanced place. And... Um, it's also feeling into this idea of being able to look from different perspectives. So there's a there's an emergent multidimensionality, but it's in a single plane. In other words, it's on a level playing field or a flat surface, mm-hmm. and and it's spreading outwards. And it's really um, it's really not accurate to call it multidimensionality. It's a real really a kind of diversity of perspective. And there's a there's a subtle difference between diversity and multidimensionality because the multidimensionality has a verticality to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to jump to something, but we'll have to come later to that, I think, because uh, we're going to be talking about some of those evolutionary drivers between one layer and another. We'll see how far we get today with all that. There's so much here to talk about. Thanks for your text. I'll come back to those in a minute. We'll take a little break, though. Uh, You you want to go to number eight, too, just for the expansion? Let's do number eight because it's exciting to think about that future on this planet, possibly in your lifetime, maybe even in ours. Yeah, and um, I'm sure there's older folk. life extension technology coming well, there you with, go. with layer seven. Yes. Uh, so seven was individually oriented. It's about uh, changing the world. Eight is another communal system, which is about changing ourselves. And the communal systems tend to bring stability, whereas the, the individual systems push 
the limits yeah. and push us into different spaces, develop new technologies, those sorts of things. The communal systems tend to then take all of that new stuff and stabilise it uh, and focus on creating stability and community in the world. And uh, Graves didn't get much data at all on layer eight. He only had six people out of 1,065 who popped into it. And uh, again, it, you know, it blew his mind because there was no model of human development that had more than seven layers or stages at that time. And the best he could say about it was that it's like a recurrence of layer two in that it's a, it's a tribal kind of orientation, mm. but it's massively more complex than layer two in that the, the scope of the tribal boundary or the tribal land is the entire planet. Mm. And even beyond the entire planet, arguably. Uh, in other dimensions. In other dimensions. In other dimensions, mm. yeah. Um, and uh, he said it was very mystical or spiritual in its orientation, highly intuitive. So um, the both seven and eight are in a new zone called the transrational zone. So they're operating in a way that transcends the rational mind. Doesn't mean that it throws it out. It just means that it's still got the you know the uh, pre-rational instinctive um, and emotional layers. It's still got the rational mind and three layers. And then now we lay this very sophisticated intuition over the top of it, which I often call quantum consciousness because I'm likening it to the kind of direct knowing that you see from entangled particles at a quantum level where they can be remotely located, but they'll know which direction the other. Yes. Particle in the pair is spinning for how, how it's feeling. So that it's day. kind of like a, just a direct sensing uh, process. Mm. So what we can expect to see at a global level when eight starts to become dominant is we we should see stable social systems which are truly planetary. Uh, we should see a very very multi-dimensional um, level of awareness to the point of. Uh, possibly some kind of telepathic communication I think so remembering that with each, with each of these steps into a new layer we expand our sensory perception mm. um, new, very new relationships with time the capacity to feel into the future quite accurately most likely uh, and uh, I, I would say probably um, very sophisticated and capable uh, yet fair um, and equitable and non-dominating global systems of coordination yeah. for everything, basically. Yeah. yeah. Sounds beautiful. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. Yes, interdimensional space vehicle nine nine nine, and it was designed like that actually. Uh, Steve, you may not. This is actually designed a bit like uh, a Star Trek. Uh, um, bridge uh, back in the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, we had that sort of tongue-in-cheek yeah, slightly. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of past its, a little bit past its use by date now, folks. We do need some philanthropic uh, generosity here so we can update a little bit, but that's another story altogether. Um, you heard then Sarah Blasco and an oyster, a pearl, and before that, a track uh, from um, the human experience called Let the Clean Water from an album of the same name. And thanks for your text. Uh, text coming in. Just wanted to share this. A review of Avatar, the movie, by a YouTuber called The Angry Hippie. 
is right up your alley, guys. It speaks of evolution, psychological development, ayahuasca, mycelium, uh, neo-humanism, and other interesting subjects. Great content. And uh, that's a fairly recent um, piece that's come out. It's from October the 22nd this year, and you can have a look. I've just got it in front of me. It's about 50 minutes long. It's from the Angry Hippie, if you're interested in having a look at that. But well, we, maybe we can post that on our Facebook page. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So we're going to go through, um, as we've been talking about, though, the layers we've sort of refreshed you with here. For those who've heard it before, I'm sure you've got some new juice and some interesting uh, other perspectives from what Steve's been talking about here. And for those who've never heard it before, hopefully that gives you a bit of a sketch on uh, much of which we base this show upon. Uh, the other element here is the other uh, drivers, the evolutionary drivers from moving from one uh, layer to another layer. And that's what we're going to have a bit of a, a sketch of now. Yeah, I'll quickly run through those for each of the layers and then uh, later in the show, if we have time, we'll zero in on the, the current transition that the world is going through from yeah. five to six. So um, as we mentioned previously, each layer of consciousness emerges, emerges and solves the problems created by the previous layer and then over time it creates more complexity which gives rise to more complex problems and eventually it's got to outgrow itself in order to solve those problems. And so... The evolutionary tension is essentially the driver for change. Yeah. This, this tension between what we're called to do and what we feel and, and are actually capable of doing. Uh, and that it's that tension which drives us to transform ourselves, often by throwing us into a very, very difficult space. Uh, and we find our, ourselves initially in a place of feeling uncomfortable with life and that things just aren't quite right. And that often causes us to go on a regressive search and to look backwards through our own history to times when we remember that things were good and oh, we yes. were coping. Make, a, make America great again. That's right. And and that regressive search takes us back to older values which are less complex and actually less capable of solving our problems. And mm. we're seeing this dynamic at a global level at the moment where our leaders are going back to old values and those old values are very, very clearly not making the grade they're not actually solving the problems at all and that's creating more tension and i call this the slingshot effect where it's like pulling the elastic band mm -hmm. on a slingshot and you're putting more and more tension on this, that elastic band and just when you think the band is about to break and you can't take the tension anymore it lets loose and uh, you you get catapulted forward into something new which could, of course, uh, happen in an individual life or on a societal level, or on a global level, in a variety of ways. Yeah. All sorts yeah. of possibilities there. Yeah, exactly. And as each new layer of consciousness emerges, it creates, it, it actually gives rise to um, a new operating frequency. Mm -hmm. So you can think of each layer as an, a different operating frequency or maybe a different computer operating system. Yeah. That, like it's like an upgrade. Or a different octave. Uh, yeah, well, there are there well, are yeah there are there are harmonics, and and you can look at the, like the sequence of layers as a musical keyboard, and you'll get octaves mm. and, and harmonics there. But um, whatever metaphor works for you, folks. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and so with with the emergence of a new layer, we're we're developing more complex consciousness, so mm. awareness of reality and all those aspects more complex intelligences. In, in other words, many of the intelligences that we already have are pushed into, uh, you know, beyond our boundaries and, and into new, more complex and more capable places, which gives us a greater capacity to cope with life. And the drivers of the tr these, this transition between the different layers vary. Uh, each particular layer has its own uh, specific drivers in terms of the kind of tension that emerges. Mm. And so, so from moving from hunter-gatherer to tribal, it's primarily fear 
and the desire to be safe that drives that transition. Mm. And there's safety a, numbers. Yeah, and that because tribal is a community-oriented uh, layer and we're also moving right now many many people on the planet are moving to this uh, sixth layer which is also community oriented and has its own tribal nature and it has a harmonic resonance with the the second layer very strong one i think there's probably a lot of people listening who, who know what it feels like to find your tribe right yes, yes. Uh, you know you've been out there a uh, sort of a, a loose hunt together a kind of an existence and all of a sudden you bump into these people that you vibe with mm. who share your values and and they share their stuff with you and you share your stuff with them and all of a sudden you get this wonderful collaborative dynamic which emerges and and so that it's that kind of uh, those kind of drivers which are behind this move from hunter gatherer to, to tribal society and the feeling of safety so so there's a you know there's a problem that's resolved by moving into this new living environment where you you suddenly feel safe and you feel good and you've got access to more stuff and and more resources and things mm. and then the transition from tribal to the third layer egocentric uh, which is from communal back to individual again it emerges out of the complexity that's created by the tribal way of living, which involves uh, abiding by customs, being within a somewhat structured uh, kind of relationship in the tribe. And in the traditional tribes, you know, it is hierarchical. Yeah. You've got a, usually a head of the tribe. The elders, the wise man, the shaman. The elders, you know, mm. the, the, the favoured son or daughter, mm. those sorts of things. Mm. And... Uh, any kind of communal system because of the conformity that it demands every every communal system demands some kind of conformity it can become smothering in a way and so in the uh, tribal to egocentric transition people tend to get angry and they get angry that they can't have more freedom that they can't do things that are against the customs of the tribe they can't go beyond the tribal boundaries they can't get involved in the decision-making process unless, of course, they're in that you know inner circle at the top of the tribe, uh, and so that anger starts to create tension. And as you said tension. earlier, this is, equates to the adolescent um, period of a, of a human being's life. In yeah, fact. it's going through puberty and, yeah. and wanting to bust out of the family restrictions yes. is is the key example there. Mm. And uh, there can be a feeling that you believe that you're more powerful than the than your parents or elders in the tribe and that you can confront danger directly rather than having to be sheltered or protected or follow rules to you know to stay away from it and then i'm going to run through this fairly quickly so we can uh, cover them all and get on to talking about some more stuff so then the transition beyond the egocentric layer to the the fourth layer which is like an authoritarian agricultural way of living and the emergence of this uh, rationality, as we said before, and again, to back to a communal uh, expression. Yeah. Mm. So the egocentric way of living creates complex problems, and they, because it's such a wild way of living, you know, it's not abiding by any written rules or structure so much. It's just acting on impulse a lot of the time and and instinct. Only so much pillaging you can do, really. That's right, and it tends to over time uh, create a sense of guilt and shame when we start to become aware of the impact of our behaviors on others because Mm. the egocentric mind tends not to consider and and in fact hasn't got the capacity to consider the impact of its actions on others and and when we start pushing the limits of the egocentric we're also growing into a place of being more aware of our surroundings and more aware of our impact on others Mm. around us and so that starts to develop a kind of an evolutionary tension around uh, guilt and Mm. shame, you know, for the kind of Mm. behaviours and things. We also start to question 
the, the meaning of life. Yeah. yeah, start to look for more purpose we, in, we, in what yeah, we do. We start to look for some kind of a philosophical structure that we can grab onto, yeah. uh, where that doesn't exist prior to that. And uh, the the wild nature of the egocentric way of living just eventually demands a return to some kind of order and structure, mm-hmm. uh, because you we you know we we get a sense that we're not actually going in any direction. We're just doing stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and again, you know, there are echoes of that individual to communal transition in the current transition also, yeah. because uh, layer five, the modern, is just a more sophisticated version of layer three, the egocentric. And there is a significant amount of guilt and shame that is arising in many, many people now for the way that we've behaved on this planet for so long now. That's right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So layer four, the authoritarian, agricultural, structured, communal way of living in the transition from there to the modern uh, scientific industrial way of being human. Again, because the authoritarian is a communal structure, over time these communal structures, they, they demand that we conform to some kind of community agreement mm. and that becomes suffocating and the, the key driver is really frustration. Um, the the uh, sort of extreme level of order and conformity required in that authoritarian way of living just makes us frustrated because when you think about uh, examples in everyday life, and one example might be just let's just take religion for one example of an authoritarian. You can take religion. Kind of I don't want to structure. <laughs> um, what there and one thing else, another thing that changes when we move between these layers is our perception of time changes. Okay, and the individual layers tend to be focused on the short term, whereas the community layers tend to think in the long term. And in the authoritarian layer, everything comes later, right? You've got to be yeah. good now to yeah. get rewarded in heaven. You've got to work hard. All of those commandments, folks. Job yeah. to, to, you know, after 40 years, you'll get your yeah. pension and your gold watch or whatever it is. Or your Apple watch these days. People still get an Apple watch or a gold watch. <laughs> I wonder, God, that's such, so archaic, it seems, talking about time. But, you know, after a while, uh, when there's sufficient complexity mm. uh, and it starts to drive this change, people get so frustrated. They just say, well, you know, I want it now. Mm. Right? I'm, I'm sick of waiting. You're not going to work like this for another. I'm not going to live the rest of my life. I actually want to find heaven now. Mm. Yeah, And I want to take risks and experiment to, to get there. It, exactly, mm. exactly. Uh, and that's one of the emerging drivers of the change and this need for short-term tangible results because often in authoritarian layer four systems the results are not so tangible yeah uh, particularly if they're coming after death (laughs) (laughs) and so that takes us to the modern uh, paradigm the modern way of being human and the drivers beyond that are all around us at the moment Mm. so um, the modern individually oriented layer is very competitive of course it's all about being the best and there has to be a, an individual race and uh, sure we'll collaborate with other people and we'll work with other people ultimately it's me who wants to be the best and you know not everyone can be the best in, in a modern system and that competition creates loneliness mm. because it disconnects us it's really important isn't it obviously it's important because this is how a lot of people are clearly feeling right now in yeah. fact in the world this sense of loneliness arriving despite the complexity of their life yeah. despite, despite how they're situated in, in communities and uh, businesses or family structures whatever there is this sense that yeah, the, a desire for deeper connection. Uh, yeah, deeper connection. Yeah, mm. and an example of how the modern layer, the modern paradigm, has created more complexity, which is causing it to need to outgrow itself, is uh, all of our social technology 
has been constructed by this modern scientific industrial era. Yeah. Uh, and yet, even though it connects us in an electronic sense, it's absent the personal, the deep actual personal connection. Mm. And people are looking at screens, not other people. Yeah. And of course, one of the other drivers is the fact that uh, this quest for success has created uh, even more radical social inequality across the board. That's right. When you live life to be the best, then not everybody's going to be the best. Mm. And so we've had this separation into the 1% and the 99%. That's often... Uh, Who's not going to be president of the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, social inequality becomes extreme, mm. and certainly we're seeing that at the moment. And so there's this perceived balance uh imperative where you want to actually um, you, you perceive an imbalance in the world and you want to find ways of rebalancing how can we redistribute these resources how can we rebalance our life you know instead of having to to uh, compete in this rat race uh, the whole week uh, and then have to spend the weekend recovering and then do it all over again how can we find balance in our own life how can we find deeper human connection so these are the, the key drivers in this transition from the modern layer five it's, to layer six. It's so true. People come back from holidays these days and they're more burnt out than being at work. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I can remember back in my life uh, times when I was living according to that particular mm -hmm. way of being human that, that I would, you know, I'd, I'd work really, really hard all week and then just have this massive uh, <laughs> pressure release, uh, which, which back in those days, you know, usually involved drinking a lot of alcohol. <laughs> Uh, and then spend the rest of the weekend recovering from that and then go and start it all over again. Yeah. And uh, and so the last two transitions, mm. the, the transitional factors that we're going to look at here are, are poking into the future. Across, uh, across the momentous across leap. Across the momentous leap. Mm. So what happens once the, the humanistic way of being human plays out, and we're going to see this uh, around the world over the next couple of decades, is that this tendency to want to rebalance things to solve the problems actually it helps a lot but it doesn't solve the the deeper causative factors that are creating the problems it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of superficial because layer six likes everything to be on a level playing field and it, it is very anti-hierarchy it loves to collapse hierarchies and a lot of those dynamics are are a rejection kind of a process that is just looking at what went wrong with the old paradigm or what was perceived to be wrong about the old paradigm and to want to just change that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and there's a good example. I don't know if I can paraphrase this, but very, if I can very quickly, heard a program recently about uh, the programs in America coming after the, the assassination of Martin Luther King, in particular in the 60s, and also the Kennedys, but more specifically Martin Luther King, and how uh, that quest for racial equality in America was very successful in some ways, but the response that came about was all these social fixes, yeah. which according to this black academic who was speaking about this, actually created more problems than it actually solved. And it was quite astounding to really listen to that in depth. If anybody's yeah. interested, there was already a national program a few weeks ago I heard on somewhere in a nutshell, yeah, there's yeah. the whole evolutionary dynamic. It's, yeah. it's trying to solve the problems, but just in the process. Yeah. And with all good intention, but actually it didn't work yeah. the way it was supposed to do. Yeah, so in the foot forward towards the, the back end of layer six as it's playing out, the cost, this cost of caring becomes overwhelming. Yes. Um, the, the attempts at social fixes through essentially rebalancing resources start to create chaos because while they on a surface level, they appear to be addressing the problems underneath the deep drivers which are actually creating the problems are not being addressed. Yeah. And so we see uh, a, an increase in chaos. Uh, mm. and, and it's going to be very, very interesting to, to live through this over the next couple of decades as it plays out on a global level.
and where there's always chaos in the transition period between mm. paradigms. It's not just specific to this particular mm. paradigm because the old structures have to fall apart mm. sufficiently to make room for new structures to come in and take their place. I think this uh, this idea, maybe you can expand on this a bit, the, the idea of the cost of caring is overwhelming. And I guess this is also what is the source of the, of the kind of confusion that we are experiencing and a lot of... Uh, layer six in particular now as we sort of on that on that edge now that we care so much that's too much to care about and there's yeah. nothing that can simply and easily be done from where we actually are at now that's true and another factor uh, to consider there is the expansion of our capacity to feel uh, into mm. the experiences of other people mm. so this um perspective changing ability which comes with layer six where we can step into someone else's shoes as, as we do that we can also not just see the world from their perspective but we can feel the yeah. world from their perspective as well and that is overwhelming yeah. that can be overwhelming that level of beyond compassion into empathy into greater levels of empathy is uh, yeah it's, it's quite shocking for many people to yeah. experience that and and often when people are on the back end of this um six layer and starting their transition mm. into seven a report feeling like they can feel the weight of the world on their shoulders mm. you know and yeah. it's just too much like they, they've got to stop looking at the news because it creates too much distress mm. it's overwhelming mm. yeah and i'm sure there are people out there listening who have experienced exactly that mm. yep and eventually the need for functionality becomes critical so the need for a re, a re essentially a rebalancing between this um swing which has occurred from the materialistic scientific industrial rather clinical way of living to this almost overcaring uh, layer six, which, which in trying to compensate for the shallowness and the clinical nature of five has swung a little bit too far in the other direction by the time the, the paradigm has played itself out. Yeah. And that will create the tension to drive this big leap in consciousness. Because that, so, that sort of functionality, because the word functionality, I think, to particularly to layer six people, I would suggest, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, is is judged in a sort of pejorative way that functionality shouldn't be the way things are. We need something better than functionality. But this is talking about a different level of functionality, isn't it? On a, on a higher level, yeah. where you actually have to discard all your belief systems and and allegiances to all sorts of things for what actually works to solve the problems, no matter where that comes from. Yeah. So what we see with the emergence of layer seven is the capacity to read the previous layers whereas previously they're not visible we can't see them okay so when we're in the first six layers we're in what graves claire graves called the first tier of consciousness we're like a fish in a fish in a fish bowl at each layer we're kind of in the water but we can't see the water and uh, we're not really aware that there are all these other fish bowls there and people are living in different worlds and so we try and we try and apply the problems that would solve our issues to every issue it's kind of like only you know at each layer you've got a set of tools and sometimes if you want to fix a problem which is characteristic of a different layer of consciousness your tools are not going to be the right tools for fixing it whereas with seven seven can read the different frequencies that it can adapt and shape shift and it can apply tools appropriate to different layers of consciousness to fix the problems that they have at those different layers so 
you know, the, the whole world is not sh making this shift through the spiral mm. at the same time. We're all spread out across the spectrum. There are still people in the world who are living in traditional tribal ways in various countries. There are still countries that are oriented entirely around the authoritarian agricultural way of living. There are still modern countries and there are emergent countries that are living in layer six already, some of the Northern European countries, for example. Yep. Um, and so if we want to take a big picture perspective and we really want to address these global issues, we've got to actually notice, okay, which world are we operating on here? You know, Are we operating on a tribal society in another country that have different values than our country? Therefore, if we are, we need to apply solutions that address their values and their issues from their perspective, mm. not from our perspective. Mm. And we've seen a lot of this in the modern era where uh, certain countries have invaded other countries and then tried to impose their systems on them and it hasn't worked very well at all because the country actually doesn't need those systems. It needs different solutions. So seven. That's, that's great. Yeah. Take that in, folks. That's really important, that, that point that Steve made just then, I think. So seven, seven brings this adaptive capacity, a shape-shifting capacity to be whatever you want to be and you know, um, construct solutions that are very specific to different human operating frequencies or operating systems mm -hmm. that we just didn't have the capacity before. So just, just to really yep. um, wrap up this uh, transition thing so we can get on to talking about some more interesting stuff. Uh, and then oh, this the, is pretty interesting. The, tra the transition, <laughs> uh, easy to get sidetracked. Though. Yes. The transition from seven to eight. Again, this is very sketchy because there are very mm. few examples that have been documented. There's, I think, there's more of this consciousness out there than there was when Graves did his research, but no one's uh, continued his research the way that he was doing it, to my knowledge. Uh, so. I often think of layer seven as kind of like the first responders on an accident scene. Um, and we can see from there, even from the previous perspectives like layer six, we can look at the world and we can see all the problems that are compounding at the moment and where we're very concerned and trying to anticipate these problems, you know, before they become completely disruptive on a planetary scale, like climate change, like mm. population migration, uh, like, you know, the, the spread of uh, infectious diseases, um, you name it. There's a, there's a whole raft of different issues out there which are creating tensions at a global level. Global level, and intelligent people can see that. Okay, this is going to come to a head sometime. We need to do something about it. And really, layer seven, the leaping consciousness and the increasing capacity that comes with that, gives us what we need. It gives us the thinking. It gives us the tools and the insights to be able to solve those major global level problems. But it's like you've just arrived at an accident scene. Uh, if, you know, if you, when you pop into layer seven and you look at the world, you go, oh, holy hell, you know, look at this, we need to fix this. And we can, um, but we need to attend to the most important things first. You've got to do a triage, just like medical staff do when they arrive at an accident scene. It's okay, we got to fix that and that first, because unless we fix that, we're not going to be able to you know, fix these other things. Those problems are going to get in the way. And so there, mm. there's a lot of immediate response and mm. uh, critical care that happens during that time that layer six emerges as the, the dominant global system. And then layer eight as a community system then brings stability to that. Mm. So it, it takes the repaired scene and then develops new, more comprehensive, inclusive and whole social systems, social systems on a global scale that can maintain balance and stability on the planet for many years to come. Mm. So the, the key driving factors are that these global crises require macro management on, yeah. a, on a global scale um, that we must tap into a deeper way of knowing this quantum consciousness 
in order to access the, the solutions that are needed. We don't have time to, to do scientific industrial scale research studies and then have them peer reviewed. 20 years later, data and influenced here and into yeah. set of institutions so people can go and do a four-year degree to fix. We don't have time for that anymore. I hope someone from the education industry is listening out there. We just don't have time for that. So we have to switch to a new a way of operating, which is this deep intuitive guidance, the, the yeah. quantum consciousness of just knowing what needs to be done. Because these layers are transrational. So we, as you just articulated really well there, it's not going back to that same old model of rational scientific approach that's, that's laborious and also fraught with all sorts of influences and, and uh, as we're seeing now with uh, fake news, fake science and yeah. altered things. And uh, we're, we'll get on to uh, talking a little bit about how science is being influenced by the emergence of Layer 6 uh, shortly yeah. before we wrap the show up. Yeah. Um, so Layer 8 is, is basically sensing order within an apparent chaos and then working with that natural order to create stability on the planet. So there, that's a, a very quick summary of what drives the transitions between these different layers, and I'm sure... Uh, if you're listening, then you probably identify with some of those tensions and drivers uh, at various aspects of your life and how they're influencing you. We have a text from someone who's asking, how can I find out more about the layers on your morning program? Thanks to Darren. Uh, well, one, you could go to our Future Sense podcast on iTunes, which is free, by the way, and listen to past shows because we're always talking on different uh, perspectives and from different angles and different ways uh, around this uh, this. Uh, model yeah and one of our key missions is to get this information out there a bit more because Claire yeah. Graves died before he published his work academically there's there aren't a lot of really solid resources out there uh, there were two academics who were working with him before he passed away who eventually wrote a book called spiral dynamics mastering values leadership and change the the book was um, crafted for the corporate leadership market so it's got a kind of a bit of a corporate spin on it and a lot yeah. of jargon and stuff but the essence of Claire Graves's work is what the book is based upon they did also draw in uh, draw on uh, some other influences as well but I'd recommend that Spiral Dynamics book as a good introduction to the model um, and then there was another book published in 2005 called The Never Ending Quest yeah. by uh, Christopher Cowan and Natasha Todorovich it's only 600 odd pages it's a collection of Claire Graves' yeah. research notes, so it's not really the kind of book that you would read cover to cover. It's more of a yeah. reference book, and you yeah. can look up That's right. what Claire Graves wrote about the different value systems and dynamics. There's also some, some good audio that you can listen to that's not us, and uh, Ken Wilber, for example. Ken, uh, yeah, Ken Wilber has a, a more expansive uh, mm. perspective on things in his integral theory, but his integral theory includes developmental psychology so there are aspects of Wilbur's work that are very relevant also yeah. uh, Don Beck who is one Don of the, the authors of the Spiral Dynamics book has put out some audio and you can find both Don Beck's audio and Ken Wilbur's audio at soundstrue.com yeah. Excellent. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans You're on Future Sense here with Nick and Steve through to 11 o'clock Pregnancy, birth, and beyond is up next. We do have a giveaway here this morning, and thanks to the Brunswick Picture House for this. And it is um, a double pass giveaway for uh, work in progress at the Brunswick Picture House on Thursday, the 10th of January at 7 pm. And it's Dave Hughes, uh, the Australian comedy icon. His laconic style thinly veils one of the country's fastest comedic minds. This is your chance to see Hughesy up close and personal as he trials 
brand new material on the sunny shores of Brunswick Heads. So give us a call if you're uh, a subscriber to BFM, 66807 and be in the draw. Just run it for about 15 minutes or so. We uh, we are going to range now, bring the magnifying glass a bit closer into the transition that's most important and is most prevalent on the planet right now, and that's the transition from layer five to layer six, and some of those drivers in a bit more detail. Steve, yeah. So one of the uh, themes that we're seeing emerging with layer six as it becomes more influential around the world is this strong desire to humanise the world. So the modern scientific industrial era era has been dehumanising in many ways. I think uh, there are a few factors at which contribute to that. One is the its materialistic kind of outlook, and mainstream science, of course, only measures things that it can register on its various instruments of measurement, um, whether it be seeing it with a human eye or measuring it with some electronic gadget. And things that can't be measured seem to be devalued or even denied. Um, and in terms of science itself, of course, we could bring in that uh, phrase we, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, hard science versus soft science. There's really been an era of hard science this, this last couple of hundred years, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. And, and the soft sciences, the sciences which look at human experience and, yeah. and human impressions, tend to be pushed aside um, or devalued during what well, they were during that modern scientific industrial area. I think that's changing at the moment. Yes, and that's interesting. So, so things like psychology, sociology, anthropology, some aspects of archaeology and other things you could argue, but certainly there's a change in that. We might get to flesh that out a bit too as part of this. Yeah, so, so in this push to rehumanize life on planet Earth, uh, there's been a, a move to anthropocentrism mm. and, and even the whole era that we're moving into now has been described by some people as the anthropocentric era yeah. uh, because it's all it's an era which is characterized by the human impact on the planet mm. and anthropomorphic thinking so the tendency yes. to want to give human qualities to things that are not human plants animals yeah even ideas perhaps that's right that's yeah. right and, and and even planet earth and planet earth uh, itself given a character mother as, earth, as, as the gaia. mother gaia which is a which is a beautiful poetic and gorgeous concept it and is. yet <laughs> it is and it, it's you know it's an echo of the animistic uh, yes belief systems of the original tribal era the traditional tribal era um and it's it's actually adding value it's it's helpful at this time when we're moving out of the scientific industrial paradigm and we need to rebalance this mm. imbalance which has emerged because of the materialistic approach mm. that we've been taking yeah so um the interesting the really interesting thing about claire graves's work is because he's uh, described sufficiently these different ways of being human these operating frequencies the behaviors and the values that that drive them we can in advance, to some extent, we can anticipate some of the difficulties that might arise as we move into these paradigms. So that's very valuable, particularly for those operating from a second tier perspective who have the, the insight and the visibility of these paradigms and where they're playing out in various places around the world. And to, to have Claire Graves' work to draw on, which guides us into anticipating some of the problems that we're probably going to create, uh, even to the point of knowing you know, what the key drivers are going to be for future paradigm shifts. I mean, it's very valuable information. Yeah. Very valuable information. Mm. So let's, um, let, let's to, uh, be a bit uh, controversial here. Use, oh, yeah. Love it. As Good. our example of this uh, orange-green 
by uh, yeah. layer five, layer six transition. I, yes. I was just referring to the colors in, from the spiral dynamics model there. So if you look at the spiral dynamics book, you'll see that the different layers, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, have been given coded, coded colors. Which is quite beautiful. And, uh, this layer six is, uh, is the green color. Yeah, it's which is very quite, appropriate. Quite appropriate, mm. actually. Yeah, not quite. So um, let's have a look at climate and climate science. So okay, I, yeah. I pointed Nick over the weekend to a, a website called Climateism. Yeah, uh, which is yeah. very interesting. It's a, I guess it's a, a backlash to the anthropocentric global warming theory and the, all of the push behind that. Uh, and it's uh, there are probably a number of factors behind it. One of them is probably a regression to harder science to try and uh, solve some of the problems which are being thrown up by the global discussions around climate change and. I guess one of the, the key difficulties that we're seeing uh, at the moment is the fact that so many people are pushing for changes to the way that we live and the way that we burn fossil fuels and our whole outlook on energy use and those sorts of things yeah. uh, in response to what's perceived as uh, a linear global warming trend. Yes, and the, the, the word linear is uh, the most important word there, and, is it? And yet... And yet, so many people are pushing back against it also. Mm. So many governments are just saying, well, no, actually, we're not going to do that. Mm. We're going to keep doing things the way that we do them. Uh, so it's creating a great deal of evolutionary tension. Mm. And it's probably one of the key topics that's generating evolutionary tension on the planet at the moment, I think. And ultimately, that's a very good thing because it's the evolutionary tension that drives the change. It's the yeah. fuel. As you've said before, uh, Al Gore's movie An Inconvenient Truth was exactly that, wasn't it? Because it actually brought onto the agenda, onto the world stage, this global perspective of those issues that we have. And yet the, uh, the bringing forth the actual solutions to them is, a, is something different from the reaction to uh, the problems that is actually occurring. Is that's that's right. Yeah. yeah, you know, Al Gore used the overview effect. You know, he showed a, a picture of planet Earth yeah. and spoke in, a, in very global terms when his movie came out, uh, which must, must have been in the early 2000s, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I, I, at the time, I saw that as a very, very beneficial thing. And I'd already studied, started studying Claire Graves' work by the time Al's movie came out. Um, and I thought I could see the benefit in it because it was turning people's attention to the planet. You know, and uh, also starting to drive this reconnection with nature, which is one aspect of the transition to layer six. Uh, whereas in layer five, nature was a resource yep. to be dug up yep. and used, basically. Yes. Um, and and Al Gore was kicking off this new perspective. And even though there were many faults in what he did, and many of the predictions that he made haven't come true, no. they they weren't accurate. His his science was flawed. Mm. Um, nevertheless, it's been very beneficial to help drive the momentum of this shift from layer five to six. And with the desire to, to bring greater humanism to, to just everything that we do, we've even started to skew the way that we do science. And it's interesting, it's very, very subtle, but it, it's interesting if you start to take notice of the, the media reports around the global warming issue and even as, as you were saying over breakfast this morning Nick even the terminology is shifting like you don't hear people saying global warming so much now as just climate change yeah, right? yes. and uh, I think part of the reason for that at least is that like most systems on most nat well all natural systems really on planet earth our climate is a complex adaptive system and our climate scientists haven't yet 
accepted or opened to the fact that it is an adaptive system, right? It's an adaptive system because it's a fundamentally natural, intelligent system, just like every natural system on the planet. Yeah. And yet all of our climate science is based on looking at what's happening now and then drawing a straight line on any trend that they see into the future. And, of course, no natural complex adaptive system yeah. works in straight lines. Sort of the fault of a sort of purely causative approach to things. And uh, on this, thank you for your text. Someone's pointed us to the website spaceweather.com, which we are very familiar with. Um, and uh, the, the influence on that complex adaptive system, not only of what's going on on the Earth system, but what's happening with the sun in particular and other galactic uh, uh, inputs and uh, areas of the of our galaxy. We may be moving through all sorts of factors may be impacting. Certainly the sun is a big one. And I think the sun's influence is certainly starting to take a bit of a foothold into the, into the science, into the, uh, into the equation, it would seem. It is. Uh, I, I think uh, we found on that uh, climatism website uh, and, and again, we haven't uh, verified this claim, but the, the website said that in 2018, I think there were 500 scientific papers, peer-reviewed yeah. scientific papers published, which ran counter to the standard public uh, belief that we're on a linear warming trend. Yeah. And uh, thanks for that uh, spaceweather.com website suggestion to whoever sent that in, because there's a new index, climate index, that they're showing on that website, which is called the Thermosphere Climate Index. Oh, yes. And uh, it's a relatively new space weather metric that tells us how the top of the Earth's atmosphere is responding to solar activity. And uh, it's proving to be a potentially more accurate indicator than our conventional ways of, weathering, uh, of measuring things like sea surface temperature and those sorts of things. And of course, what it's telling us is that uh, we're actually not on a linear warming trend. But in fact, we're on a uh, long-term global global cooling trend. And um, the people who came up with this Thermosphere Climate Index system had access to data with which has allowed them to uh, basically reverse engineer the trends back to about 19, early 1940s, uh, according to the graph I'm looking at at the moment on the, the spaceweatherarchive.com website. And um, we, you can see quite clearly there that the thermosphere has been gradually cooling. There, like any natural system, it oscillates in a kind of a, a roughly sine wave pattern. And you can see that the the peaks of temperature have slowly been declining uh, since uh, the high on the graph is uh, just before 1960, um, which is supporting a bunch of other fairly complex and uh, capable scientific efforts that we talk about regularly on the show, which are suggesting that we're in a long-term global cooling trend. But because the climate is a complex adaptive system, whenever a complex adaptive system goes through change, it becomes chaotic. Uh, so it becomes more unpredictable and the performance spikes in both directions. And this is why we're seeing, we are seeing spikes in hot weather. There's no doubt about that. I think we just had a, a, a very significant heat wave Absolutely. Uh, over Christmas period here in Australia, but we're also seeing spikes in cold weather, and mm. uh, at the same time as we're having heat waves down here, they're having uh, cold weather records broken. Coldest in Thanksgiving in the US in 150 years. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, in fact, we, we also talk about Martin Armstrong, and um, he reports that NASA, <clears throat> which has already confirmed before that we are going into a cooling period, not warming, they've also put out a forecast of declining sunspot activity and confirming um, what their computer, what Martin Armstrong's computer and uh, has been forecasting, reporting that as the sun is experiencing a rapid decline in sunspots, it is also dimming in brightness of energy output. 
And um, it looks like that not only will the trend move towards coal, but there is a high probability, he claims, that we are declining now for the next um, 30 or so years into the, into the 2040s in yeah. temperature. And what's shifted in our, our public perspective on science as layer six becomes more influential because we are rejecting everything that came from the modern era because it, it has caused the problems that we need to solve now. Uh, hard science has been pushed down, it's being pushed aside, it's getting less exposure in the media, and humanistic science is being pushed. So you'll often see yeah. reports talking about the scientific evidence, and rather than saying, well, these scientists produced uh, a, an evidence-based predictive model which has been used repeatedly and is accurate, and of course we don't have anything like that in relation to climate science, so we, ha we don't have any models that can accurately predict uh, future climate at, the, at this point even though even. Uh, and so the um a lot of what's being reported is that uh 94 of scientists agree yeah this is happening and so you can see how that's been taken from hard data into a humanistic perspective it's so so rather than look at the data let's look at how many people agree with us yeah and uh, therefore the science is being softened and humanised, which is ultimately also has its advantages. And it's a good thing, and there's no doubt that we need to rehumanise ourselves after this very clinical, materialistic, uh, scientific, industrial era. However, it's also wise to, to be aware of how this changing perspective is more a, a knee-jerk reaction to what we perceive as being wrong about the previous era, rather than a more complex insight into the dynamics of what's driving our climate. Yeah. So, and what we're saying here is that this is a this is a transition along the way as we evolve now, as we move into this st stage six. This is a kind of stage that one on an individual on a global level, as we're seeing now, uh, is a, a position that many people will take. What you just articulated there, but it's a it's a sort of station along the way to a, a bigger perspective as we move forward. It is, yeah. You can you can think about this swing between the individual. Mm separate way of being human and the communal connected way of being human is, is like a big pendulum that swings backwards and forwards as we progress up the spiral. And it's a very unconscious process in the first six layers. So including this layer that's emerging, the sixth layer globally at the moment, we're still pretty unconscious and not aware of this dynamic. But um, that pendulum swings to extremes. And we're just seeing the results of the extreme of the fifth individual disconnecting kind of separately oriented layer yes. and uh, in in sort of a, a pushback against that then we're trying to swing that pendulum back the other way and and uh, you know sometimes the baby gets thrown out with a bathwater yeah. in that effort to try and rebalance things radically yeah yeah oh, there's so much to talk about we're almost out of time I it's 10:47 here on Bay FM. Um, we might uh, we might have to leave it there and come back for a bit of a summary about a couple of other things we'd like to talk to you about um, but there's so much more to say, we're just going to have to continue. And as Next we week we'll be back. Next week we'll be back. And of course, as we've been saying, we are now also on iTunes under Future Sense, which is rather convenient because when we named this show, we didn't realise that there was an ABC Radio National show called Future Tense. Yeah, that's right. Which is really good too. So I, if you, I did know that actually. Yes, did you? Because <laughs> well done, well done. Because now if you search for Future Sense, if you, if the, if you search for Future Tense from Radio National, you'll, you'll, you'll find us as well. That's so right. it's rather good. That's right. Rather well well positioned, Mr. McDonald. Thank you. Mate. I like that. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. 
And you've got about one minute if you want to get in the draw for the work in progress at the Brunswick Picture House. It's Thursday, the 10th of January. That's a show with Dave Hughes, the very well-known Australian com- comedy icon. A double pass giveaway. Uh, Call up now, double six eight seven triple nine, And also uh, Howie, who's a regular listener. Howie, hey, Howie, has just um, mentioned that there's a one-off screening of the documentary Kangaroo, which apparently is fantastic, disturbing but fantastic, at South Golden Beach Community Centre on this Wednesday the 9th at 7.30pm. $5 only entry with Q&A with the filmmakers Mick and Kate McIntyre, well-known local filmmakers or Australian filmmakers. Here, we're just uh, winding up the show today, and uh, you, Steve, who do travel around the world to speak at various symposiums symposiums and conferences in the last couple of years, you are doing the same at a, um, a conference down the coast at Coffs Harbour on the 17th, 18th, and 19th of this month. What's uh, what's that all about? That's right. So I'm, I'm giving a TED-style talk on entheogens in the mystery traditions, so the use of uh, psychoactive substances in the non-mainstream mm. spiritual traditions throughout history mm. and how influential they've been, particularly through altered state work. And then I'm running a two-hour workshop on uh, light body activation. So in that workshop, I'm working with a, a good um, friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Stephen Booth, who we had on the, the show last Couple year. Couple times, yep. And uh, I'll be talking about Claire Graves' map to the future and how our consciousness is shifting at the moment. And we'll be combining that knowledge with a practical experience of how the body's subtle energy systems are being upgraded, as particularly as we transition into the second tier of consciousness. Mm. And uh, that, that's um, Stephen Booth will be talking about uh, some of the theory behind the, the subtle energy geometry. And we'll do some practical exercises with the people in the workshop so that they may have a big experience of uh, light body activation. Indeed, and uh, I'm not actually talking to Steve here. I'm talking to a, a light form in front of me. It's, it's absolutely beautiful, radiant, and rainbows and sparks and lights and electricity moving through magnetic quantities. Cute angel sounds. Cute. I don't know what an angel sounds like. Uh, if you want to check out uh, the Illuminate, it's called Illuminate Aspects of Consciousness Symposium from the 17th, 18th and 19th down at Danuka Beach Resort in Coffs Harbour. There's a Facebook page for that. Uh, a lot of very interesting talks about all sorts of things, that we, many of which we do talk about here on the show. It should be fun, I think. And the people who run that, you, they also, or they have in the past, run uh, conferences on oh, yeah. uh, ET contact and also yeah. the afterlife. Yes, yeah, so there's a, a bit of that too, and uh, I'm, I'm sure there are still some tickets available, uh, and I might be going down there too for a day myself and seeing if I can fit that in. Um, yeah, how can we wrap up today? So we've got about a minute left. I'm going to play a track before uh, Pretty Birth and Beyond is in the house, and also we'll have to um, draw that draw if, you, if uh, our wonderful front desk people can bring up the, the, um, the tin. Uh, Oh, yes, and thanks to Ross, who's just to Ross Hill, who's just to, um, texted us and said, Good morning, nice show. We'll have it on the web later this week. Thank you, and a beautiful photograph of the two of you. You're looking absolutely gorgeous. Only, only saw you yesterday up here. Ross and Anne. Ross and Anne, they're in another yeah. dimension now. Yeah, it's called Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, anything else to say? I mean, uh, we, we, it's almost like we, we spoke a lot today, a lot of things there, and hopefully it was very valuable to you, and we will continue. Uh, but there is just so much to talk about. In I know. This, in this it's area. just like a, it's a rabbit hole, isn't it? It's, it's a really? rabbit hole. It's a rabbit but hole. not to get confused or overwhelmed. In, but if you do, that's perfectly. That's a good sign that you're actually on the edge of uh, of transition. One could argue. That's right. If you're if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed with the life, the universe, and everything at the moment on this planet, but to see it as a positive sign, if you can see that you know and 
and, and, and open up to the paradox of, of being that we now are living in and, and that intuitive and creative capacity that we all actually have indeed. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Nick. Lovely to be here, and we'll be back with you next Monday morning. And thanks for listening. Bye. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia, at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.